All right. It's good to greet each other. And I want to say welcome if you're joining us online. Uh, we miss you, and we're glad to be with you digitally. And uh, whether you choose to worship from home in this season or worship at our 9 a.m. outdoor service or our 1030 indoor service, uh, we love you, and we're, we're glad to be a part of this worshiping community with you. Say, I'd like to bring up uh, the president of our board, uh, our board chair, Scott Christensen, and Scott and I are going to tee up kind of an announcement. You may have received a letter uh, two months ago almost about the potential of a three-way church merger, and I'd like to give some context for this. Uh, Scott has done such a good job as uh, the leader of our board here in facilitating and help facilitate these conversations. He's put in hours in hours of his time, so thank you to his wife, Julie, for uh, sacrificing all that time. And uh, Scott, would you just uh, tee up uh, where we've been and give us a little context? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, am I live and in person here? Yeah. Otherwise, I can go louder. There we go. Well, welcome. Uh, for those uh, at Apple Valley Baptist or Cross of Christ that might be watching us online, we uh, welcome you. We've, uh, we've been praying for you, um, and we've been praying about what God's will might be. For those of you that are a little unfamiliar with Mercy Road's uh, journey, we, uh, we spent many years worshiping in a middle school in uh, Prior Lake, and uh, we just were waiting on God's timing and, and what would be next in God's timing, and God led us to this building next, um, kind of back here, beautiful trees, but we are in a warehouse, but uh, Mike and team and the rest of the leaders have made it beautiful inside. Um, you, as a faithful congregation, have paid off all our debt to uh, put this remodel in place. And uh, the board has been saving money and dreaming and waiting on God's timing of what the next steps might be, looking for that permanent home uh, someday, if that would be God's will. Approximately in February, for those of you that have read that uh, weekly wire uh, and letter from, uh, from Mike and myself, uh, we were contacted uh, board to board on Apple Valley Baptist to Mercy Road about an opportunity for a merger and a three-way merger uh, with Cross of Christ and Apple Valley Baptist. We've been spending the last uh, three months, four months, just praying and asking God to show us the way, open our hearts, open our minds to what his will might be, what the future might hold, and what would please him. And we've also asked God that if this would not be in his will, that he would slam that door shut and uh, I would tell you that over the last three months, we've spent a lot of time, Mike, myself, and others on the board, uh, meeting with Apple Valley Baptist leadership, meeting with Cross of Christ leadership, their, their staff, and we've built trust, we've built relationships. I've made some new friends, some new brothers in Christ, and I thank God for that. Um, in this time, it's been difficult for all of you in COVID and staying at home and Building trust and relationships when you can't see people eye to eye and face to face other than through Zoom and emails is much more difficult. But God continues to open doors for us, continues to bless our new brothers in Christ. Uh, he has not slammed that door shut yet. And so we continue to, to march forward in what we believe is God walking us uh, down that path. And so today um, we continue down that path. It's, it's happening uh, quickly, we've found that uh, we have many things in common um, and that uh, the three churches might be stronger 
in God's uh, will than one or three individual churches. So today we're going to introduce a couple of uh, or somebody from Apple Valley Baptist and somebody from Cross of Christ and uh, so they can get to know them a little bit better. Is that, Mike, anything I can add? Yeah, that, that's really good, Scott. Again, thank you for your leadership, and you can remain up here with me. Uh, I'd love to welcome up uh, Chad Murphy. Pastor Chad is the lead pastor of Cross of Christ, and uh, Phil Putz is the interim pastor of Valley Baptist. You can come on up here, too, Phil. And I've really gotten, as uh, Scott has said, uh, to become friends with these, these men and these leaders. And uh, if you've been around Mercy Road for a while, you know that uh, Pastor Jonathan Nelson... Uh, two years ago, took a call to be the lead pastor of Waycross Church, and uh, I've always been a, a team guy. I really love teams. When I was a swimmer in college, my coach would kind of yell at me because I, I didn't get very excited about the individual events. I loved the relays, and he goes, how can you swim that much faster on a relay than the individual leg? And I said, it just energizes me when I know somebody else is on the team. And we have, of course, Ari and, and Carrie. Uh, on the team, but we're kind of a, a slim staff here, and so it's been so fun to have these two pastors uh, as weekly companions to talk. So would you, uh, Chad, just give us a snapshot of Cross of Christ and uh, where you're at as a congregation and how you're feeling about the merger, as well as just uh, share a little bit about who you are. Sure. So thank you for letting me be part of today, and we are honored and thrilled to share a little bit uh, I've been pastor at Cross of Christ for not quite 12 years. We're almost there, August. And we are in downtown Lakeville, a traditional, what was a Lutheran church. Uh, we are a Baptist church, and we have resided in that building for the last, actually, since 2006. Um, but we have uh, run into a bump where we've got some dynamic churches that have moved into our area. And many of our young families have moved to those churches, and that's a great thing for the kingdom. And, and I mean that. It's a great thing for the kingdom. But we've been challenged because I'm one of the younger people in our church now. And I, if you think I'm young, that's great, but I'm, I'm not that young. So, <laughs> But I still have tons of energy, tons of passion. And you have way more hair than I do. <laughs> and I still I do have hair. I don't know why, but I do. Um, and so we began to look at what's next, what's the next chapter for our church. And Mike, ironically, uh, was the one who did the premarital counseling for my daughter, Jordan, who is married, and I'm now a grandpa for the first time at late April. So that is a wonderful change. Thank you. And um, she said, you would really like Mike. He's a great guy, and uh, you ought to give him a call. And, of course, I drug my feet for a while. But six months later, I, I called Mike, and we began to meet, and uh, it just was right. We, we, we have uh, many of the same passions, but I think our gifting is complementary. Uh, I have a shepherd's heart, and I began to get excited about, you know, working with Mike and the idea of, of building something. And time went by, and, and here we are on the brink of what could be something that I think would be very, very special. I have two children, both adult. My son is in his second year at Northwestern. He just finished uh, locally. And my daughter is married to Mark, Mark Pressure, and they have one child as of April. And I delight in being a grandpa. So anything else? I, I think that's uh, great. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Phil? 
My wife, Jill, and I, who's sitting over there all by herself now, <laughs> also delight in being with you today, takes me back to days of uh, other kinds of experiences in my life. I've been a pastor uh, full-time since 1971, which makes me old, but it actually puts me kind of in the middle of the age group at Apple Valley Baptist Church. Uh, we're an older congregation. Uh, we uh, have four children, uh, three sons and a daughter. We have three daughters-in-law and a son-in-law and 14 grandchildren. Hey, it's easy. <laughs> they live all over the place. We moved a year and a half to Blaine uh, to be near one of our children, our oldest son and family. And um, we were in Fargo. Until then, I've served as a, uh, an associate, uh, a solo church pastor, a church planter, uh, multi-staff, lead pastor, regional minister, and a pastoral coach in my ministry life. And now I'm part-time interim since October, so I don't have a lot of history with the church um, last October. And uh, we're just kind of walking through the process, literally our congregation uh, gave the executive committee, which is the, the main board of the church, uh, permission to formally begin discussions about, it got concluded about two weeks ago. And so we'd had these conversations long before, but uh, formally now began to enter into them. And so there's been a lot of progress, but we have to walk with these folks they're a delightful group of about 35 members, about 30 on a Sunday morning, uh, unable to have the vitality that they once had to lead a ministry, and a church that was once 200 people that had declined through the years. And so they know they need to take a step. Change is difficult. If you ever pray for Apple Valley Baptist Church, just pray for grace in their lives during this difficult time. because. As some of you may know, that when you hit 75, 80, 85 years of age, one of the premier thoughts in your life is who will take care of us spiritually? Who will visit us? Who will preach at my funeral? Who will take care of my spouse when I'm gone? And, and these changes are difficult, but so far we're walking forward in this. And, uh, and so um, Joe and I have just loved to get to know these people. And uh, I think you will, too, if that opportunity arises. So far, uh, meeting Scott and Mike and Chad and Larry and Anita? Annette. Annette. Got close. Uh, and others of you have just been a delight. But uh, I think uh, we want to take some time right now to pray. Um, yeah, and, and before you pray, Phil, I know a lot of us have questions. Uh, we'll be sending out a FAQ later this week, and we'll also send a link to a video that um, Ari recorded uh, of me interviewing Chad, so you get to know Chad. In, in this potential merger, Chad would come on our staff as an associate pastor, uh, and Phil, of course, I'd love for him to come on. He lives in Blaine. He's in an in interim role, and so uh, the idea would be that these congregations, uh, Ch Chad's congregation is about 100 people, um, about 30 or 40 people from, from Apple Valley Baptist would come under the Mercy Road banner. We would still be Mercy Road. Uh, we would still continue to meet here for some time. 
but the idea is eventually we would move on to the five-acre property uh, on Garden View and 42 in Apple Valley, which uh, ironically is uh, 1.3 miles away from my house. Uh, when when uh, Terry Branham uh, initially brought the idea to me out of conversations with a board member at Apple Valley, um, I, I Googled churches near me on my address, and it's the closest church to my house, and that got my attention. Not that we would merge out of convenience for me, but, <laughs> but uh, there is really a pocket there where, you know how there's a food desert? We talk about the term food desert. There's kind of a church desert in that area. And so the idea of uh, caring for the older generation and seeing more of an intergenerational arc is really appealing to the leadership here at Mercy Road. Uh, but also reaching the lost in a neighborhood church that's very visible. I always joke if uh, we're persecuted as Christians in this country one day, we wouldn't need to move because no one would be able to find us here anyways, right? So we'd like to be a little more visible. So anyways, if you do have questions, please email us at info at mercyroadmn.com, and we'll include those on the FAQ. But for now, uh, Pastor Phil's going to pray for us. We'll move into uh, week two of our sermon series and then uh, I've actually asked uh, Pastor Chad and Pastor Phil to close the service by leading us in communion. So uh, if you don't have a little K-cup communion, you can pick one of those up uh, towards the end of the service. So would you pray for us, Phil? Let's join in prayer. Gracious Father, we can never see the steps ahead in our lives. We don't know what's going to happen 10 minutes after this service ends or even during this time in the next 10 minutes. But we know that you see it all, that you are the God who lives outside of time and space, that you're the one that created time and space, that you're the one who said the word, the word that became flesh, Jesus Christ, and the world was formed, and Christ then died on the cross for us and rose again so that we might have eternal life and ascended to the Father and is coming again. And it is in that faith in Jesus Christ that we come to you today. And we ask that this process of conversation regarding the merger, all the things involved in it, Father, would be so much guided by you, that you would be so directing us in every step of the way that nothing will be unclear when we step in to whatever you have for us. God, may you just give us grace and patience and mercy during this time and a huge dose of hope. And Father, I thank you that you have brought us together into this place to worship you. And I pray that as our brother Mike begins to teach again today, that you would just empower him and fill him with your Holy Spirit that what he says today will be so true to your word. What he says today will be something that the Holy Spirit will use to grip our hearts, to change us, because we are not all you want us to be yet. And even if we make a move as three congregations to another location um, and, and uh, call it a permanent home, this world is not our home. Uh, it's still not permanent. But, God, we look forward to that day when we'll stand together rejoicing and praising you with every tongue and every nation that has come to know Christ. And so uh, we give this time to you. We ask your blessing, your encouragement, and your power in Christ's name. Amen.
Would you give these leaders a hand, please? Well, welcome. Uh, if you are watching this from Apple Valley Baptist or Cross of Christ, I want to especially welcome you, and uh, I really want to speak to you in this message as well as to Mercy Road Church. We have been in a sermon series called Lessons from Lockdown, and essentially what we're doing is we're looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a place called Philippi. We know that as the book of Philippians, and we're kind of dissecting this letter and we're pulling out proverbs, if you will, or lessons, truisms, from uh, the book of Philippians because Paul wrote this letter from prison. And circumstantially, he had no reason to have a lot of joy in his life. He was locked down. And for us to compare our lockdown in the pandemic to his situation is a little laughable because his situation really was worse. Uh, the ancient world prison system and being a political prisoner was no picnic. Uh, but we have gone through some adversity and many of us continue to go through adversity and the suicide rate is up in our country and it's hard to see everything grind to a halt and then on top of that the racial tensions and uh, divisions politically and so we're trying to look to God's word uh, Apple Valley Baptist and Cross of Christ in this season and say how can we become wise and even as things reopen up how do we navigate those seasons in life where we do feel locked down? Because many of us do, and many of us will. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to suffer, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Just uh, for those who are here, and in Facebook Live, you can add your voice too. Could I get a few examples? Would you call to mind a time in your life where you really felt joyful? Like you felt the joy surge. What, what, what comes to mind when I say that? And just raise your hand and shout it out. Yeah, being a, grandpa. being a grandpa, yeah. Pastor Chad just uh, welcomed your granddaughter. His name is well, Emma. Emma. Emma, little Emma is just the joy of his life. You can tell in his face. He can't stop smiling, right? That's a wonderful example. Any other examples? Yeah. Being married, yeah. When you said, I do, and, and, and that moment, you were just filled with joy, that new covenant, yeah. When you can get the family together, especially when we've been apart uh how how true is that when we see each other on the screen and hey you're real and uh apple valley baptist you and i gathered on the lawn many of us uh yesterday and and i did a little interview and i shared my heart with you and it was great to see some of these people who i've seen only over zoom when you get the family together there's joy what what's another example here yeah sunday school classes coming from our kids ministry director absolutely don't you love Carrie? She gets so happy when she's around your kids, even, even when your kids are kind of difficult, right? Any, any other examples? Yeah. Hiking in the woods, nature. These are wonderful examples, and we all have them, and we all have circumstances in our life where the joy really surges. But have you noticed the tendency for human beings, and, and you're no exception and neither am I, is that when circumstances don't go right, the joy is no longer there. We are, in other words, circumstantially joyful people. That's the default of the human heart. And that's why this letter from the Apostle Paul is absolutely fascinating. Uh, if you want to turn to Philippians, we will uh, move on from where we were at last week. Last week, we, we looked at his introduction and his posture of gratitude, among other things, while he's in chains. What we're going to pick it up at verse 12. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I'm reading from the NIV translation now. Let me read this for you. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, some of translations will say praetorium guard, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. This is God's word. If you're taking notes, the the first thing I'd like us to notice is really verse 12. And and you might say that verse 12 kind of tees up this whole part of Scripture, and, and you might word it like this. This would be a lesson from lockdown generally. Every painful circumstance in your life can be used to advance the gospel. That is what Paul assumes. He assumes that every hard thing that he goes through can be used to advance the good news about Jesus Christ and eternity and what God's up to in human history. And that really is the source of his joy. Plot spoiler on the whole message, that really is, plot spoiler on the whole series, how we can have non-circumstantial joy even when we're locked down, even when we're depressed, even when financially things are not going like we want them to go, even when there is strife in our relationships, when we have a wayward child, when we have a medical diagnosis that scares us, when we are aging and we can't do the things we used to do, and that bums us out, we still can have joy if we realize that every painful circumstance, every disappointment, every time the script changes, that can be used by God to advance the good news about Jesus Christ, to change the world. You see, Paul, and we noted this last week, had dreams of going and maybe preaching in the Colosseum. A lot of people and scholars believe that. He had one vision for how ministry could look, how he wanted to proclaim Christ, and now he finds himself chained up on rotation every four hours to a new praetorium guard. These guys are, are, are brutal. <laughs> he's been interrogated. He's been beaten. He's gone hungry. He's coming to the end of his ministry. He's in profound uncertainty. He, he thinks, logically, he's probably going to be executed. He doesn't know when. And yet he writes this letter, and 17 uses of a form of joy are used in the letter. He has a higher frequency of happy words in this short little letter than any letter in the New Testament that he has written or that anyone else has written. The, the root in Greek, the New Testament's written in Greek, is the car, C-H-A-R, root. And so we have the word charis. Charis in, means grace, and, and that's used. Charidismai, freely give to grace. Kara is joy. Cairo, 
rejoice, 17 times of variations. And you got to think that, that the Philippians probably thought he was a little nuts. Because, I mean, he's writing this letter and he's saying these crazy things. Like, you know, I am just so thankful for you and your support. Oh, how am I doing? Well, you know, I'm chained to the guards. What kind of guards? All the Praetorium guards. He's writing to a veteran community. Philippi was almost entirely populated by combat veterans who won a decisive battle in the history of Rome, and they were given pension and land in this area. And so they know the difference between this type of guard or that type of guard. The Praetorium guard, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, um, is featured. It's the guy who kind of is always changing costumes. He's adapting his clothing to um, w wherever he is. They're, they're a weird mixture of bodyguard, like the Secret Service, and the Secret Police, like the Stasi in the um, Cold War. They're, they're, uh, they have to be combat veterans. They have to distinguish themselves in battle as being especially brutal. And then they get recruited into this secret special forces version. And that is who he's chained to. And so now he writes to this veteran community and he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm just so exploding with joy because everything in my life right now, even the worst parts, you know, I'm chained to the Praetorium Guard all the time and they beat me and interrogate me, but they're fully aware now that I'm chained for Jesus. I, they're kind of my prisoners. So everything is advancing the gospel. And then there's these people who, yeah, they're preaching Christ out of really bad motives and they're kind of visiting me occasionally and rubbing it in my face. Hi, you're, you're chained up here and my church is exploding. I, I, I just added my fifth multi-site call. What, what are you up to? He goes, you know, that, that, that kind of gets me down some days, but actually it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter because Christ is being preached. Think about that for yourself. Frame your suffering right now. Think about the, the top three things that bum you out. What are, what are they? What, what are the things that are just not going well at all for you? That if you had a magic wand, you could change. That you've been praying about and you say, God, why, why won't you change my circumstances? Why won't you heal me? Why won't you return this to me? What, why did you let that happen? Could that painful circumstance in your life be used to advance the gospel? That is what Paul believes with all his heart. And that is what gives him joy. If you're taking notes, the second point, an observation, the second lesson from lockdown would be this. When proclaiming Christ, courage and cowardice are highly contagious. I'm, I'm getting that from Philippians 1, 13 through 14. He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the praetorium, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. If you study about persecution in the ancient and modern world of Christians, it's kind of interesting to note that when the government starts to torture and kill or hurt Christians and try to snuff that out, most of the time it has a back backwards effect where uh, the church flourishes. So, for example, in Iran right now, two things are kind of ironic. Because of Sharia law, alcohol is banned. And do you know that Iran consumes more alcoholic beverages per capita than the state of Wisconsin? Wow. Some of you are from Wisconsin. You're like, really? That's incredible. 
But something else is banned there too. You can't proclaim the name of Jesus. And do you know that the church in Iran is in the top five fastest growing countries in the world? Why? Because courage is contagious. When you tell someone you can't do it, leaders rise up and say, no, we're going to do it. And that courage has a contagion effect. Now, there are, there are other examples, like Sri Lanka right now is highly persecuted, and the church, by visible means, appears to be snuffed out because everyone is keeping their head down, as best we can tell. People are afraid because when they gather, their gatherings are trashed and people are targeted and, and killed. There's a borderline genocide right now for Christians. Cowardice and cur- courageous living, both of them are more contagious than the coronavirus, I assure you. Six feet is not a mitigation strategy for courage. If you see a glimpse of it in another believer, isn't it true that you change? That it, that it starts to get in your mind, you know, she is bold about her faith. I, we were praying before, before the worship set, and, and Gracie, who is a high school student, prayed with such boldness. She asked that God would just be pleased with the worship today, and, and I found myself just being filled with, with confidence because if a high schooler can talk to God with such confidence in the name of Jesus Christ, why can't I? Some of, some of us, if we're honest, we, we relate to the people that Paul's kind of critiquing. We keep quiet when we probably shouldn't keep quiet. There are people in our life that we golf with, that we uh, play bridge with, that we have been in relationship with, that we're in a club with. And you know, if Christianity tomorrow became illegal and that person was called to the witness stand, they would probably get you off the hook because they'd say, no, I, I don't, I'm not so sure she's a, I mean, maybe she, yeah, I would say she's a Christian, but not really. I mean, this isn't a central part of their life. She's never brought it up to me. He's never, I don't think, said Jesus the word Jesus to me. He's never talked about why he believes or how that changes his living. And then there are people in our life who show courage in this area and, and they, they explain to the non-believers in their life why they have hope in their hearts about eternity. They share even with employers. They take risks, not in an obnoxious way. And that has an a on us and we move forward in courage. This is what's happening with Paul. He's saying, how, oh, how am I doing? I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm chained to Praetorium guards. And they go, what? We're a veteran community. We know what Praetorium guards are. Is Paul lost it? Maybe he's delusional. He's saying that's a good thing because it's advancing the gospel. I bet they're beating him up and torturing him. And they hear that and they go, well, he's either crazy or he's got courage from on high. And when they concluded that he's got courage from on high, they came out of hiding and they said, you know what, we're going to praise the name of Jesus because that's the name that will ring through eternity. That was the name that spoke creation into being. That is the name that heals the sick, opens the eyes of the blind. That's not just one activity among other activities that defines my life. That is my creator, my savior, my redeemer. I will not be ashamed to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and that courage is contagious. So do an inventory. We're talking about mergers, church mergers. That's a scary thing for us. Apple Valley Baptist, I imagine that might be 
most terrifying for you because you represent the oldest generation. But there's some fear here too, I imagine, Mercy Road and Cross of Christ. If we merge, what will we lose? What if my preferences change? What if the one thing that has been semi-stable in this pandemic, my church family, looks differently, has a different name, has a different affiliation or denominational partnership? What if Mike doesn't preach as much and now this Chad's going to preach and I don't know Chad and what if Mike preaches all the time and I'm used to Chad. I've been listening to Chad for 12 years and Mike's really bald and Chad has a lot of hair. And what, what if the music changes? Now, did he say we're leaving our building? We put a lot of work into the building at Mercy Road. What if we go into debt to build a new building and what if we don't agree on the building plans and what if the building... Cha- Careful. Cowardice. Fear, anxiety, those are all very contagious viruses, but courage, conviction that the highest goal is to proclaim the name of Jesus to advance the gospel in our cultural moment, that is also contagious. Can you imagine if three churches came together and there are people right now who are in despair because they don't know that they were created to last forever? They don't know that the name of Jesus is the defining name of human reality, and they will because... Some individuals, some individual churches were courageous and it was contagious. Courage. Cowardice. They're highly contagious. Thirdly, if you're taking notes, another lesson from lockdown is this. Even good preachers with bad motives bear spiritual fruit. This is Philippians 1, 15 through 18. He goes on after he says, yeah, the Praetorium Guard and their abuse that's actually produced some fruit and we have good evidence within two years of his imprisonment. We have several members of the royal family in the palace who are now followers of Christ. It's amazing. And he goes, oh, and then there's other circumstances that are not ideal, but they're still advancing the gospel. Like, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincere, supposing they can stir up trouble for me, while I'm in chains, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. This is an interesting text. If, if you're a new believer or you're new to church, um, you, you might fall into this very understandable line of thinking, this false uh, perception that the leader guy, that the pastor is up front, we're, we've got it all together, we're perfect, we always do everything with the right motive. We don't even need to shower. The Holy Spirit just refreshes us. We, we don't sweat. We, we're just, we don't use the bathroom. We're just, there's just, you know, sometimes when I pray hard enough, I levitate. That's not true. In fact, even re- reading Paul, the, probably the most famous pastor and apostle that we know he wrote 70-some percent of the New Testament. You can still see his humanity, and he even admits it. He says, there are areas in my life I know the right thing to do, but I keep doing them. I'm not doing the right thing, or I do the wrong thing. Wretched man that I am. That's what he says. And, and so now he's commenting on this odd little thing that he, re- he, he personally launched leaders. He converted people, and he trained pastors, and some of them 
have made it a big competition. And, and it doesn't take very long or that many years of being a pastor to look around at pastors' gatherings and realize some of us aren't doing this for the right motives. Pastor Phil, Pastor Chad, you know how it goes. You go to the, the conference, the pastoral conference. Oh, hello. Good to meet you, uh, Pastor Chad. My name's Pastor Mike. Uh, tell me about your ministry. Oh, and then he goes on. Oh, about how many people do you have uh, on Sunday? It's a comparison of numbers, and it really can become ugly. And what's fascinating is part of me wants to believe that if you're not doing something for the right motive, namely preaching Christ out of selfish ambition or to, to, to puff yourself up or to make your, you look like a big deal, that there would be no fruit. Like It almost seems logical that God would not allow fruit to come out of impure motives, but look at your life. Look at the grace he has shown in your life. You have done the right thing for the wrong reasons hundreds, if not thousands of times. You didn't do it because it was good and beautiful and true and commanded by God. You did it because the thought of you getting caught terrified you. The thought of you being embarrassed mortified you. The thought of you losing your moral superiority to say, I am this type of person terrified you. And I've done the same thing at times. We oftentimes act out of poor motives and we almost always act with mixed motives. And Paul is saying, whether you are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, with an ugly spirit of competition, with a desire to make you look good, or you're preaching Christ out of just a, a deep-seated humility and a, a, and a broken heart that longs for life change to happen in other people and in your own life. In some ways, he's saying it doesn't matter because Christ is being preached. You hear what he's saying? He's saying if the truth about all of reality is being proclaimed in such a way where people are responding, they're listening, and they're adjusting their lives according to that truth about all of reality, does it really even matter? Now, it does matter to God. And Paul writes about that elsewhere. And we will be accountable. And, and we're told that teachers are held to a higher level of accountability, and there will be some regret and sorrow for many pastors and for all pastors to some degree as we're given a real review of our motives in every sermon we preached. And so, so that's a serious, sobering thing for me. But Paul is saying on a practical level, even when I'm in chains and someone shows up not to comfort me, but to taunt me because they're making it a competition, I almost don't care because I just so long for Christ to be preached. This is a great comfort when partnering with other people in ministry. Because you, that essentially means you don't have to completely know the person for 60 years and, and know that they are completely bulletproof in all their motives. In fact, you can kind of assume they have some mixed motives because they're a work in progress, progress just like you. It gives you the freedom to partner and take some risks within appropriate bounds that you wouldn't have if everybody had to have a level of perfection before you went to work with them. Lastly, if the gospel is unstoppable, joy is always possible. That's kind of catchy, right? If the gospel is unstoppable, if the good news about Jesus Christ cannot be stopped, 
then joy is always possible. And that's really what Paul's getting at. And so we'll, we'll end where we started. Verse 12 frames it all up. And, and in verse 12, we, we can say the gospel is unstoppable. He said, everything that has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. In other words, he's saying demonic forces, terrible situations, cruel people, mixed motive punk pastors, Guards that like to beat me and are trying to get me to turn away and stop preaching Jesus. Yeah, it all hurts. But God is so competent and so creative and so good and loving and such a master craftsman. He can and he will and he has weave it all together in such a way that the gospel goes faster, not slower. And we're proof of that. We're sitting here preaching it thousands of years later. I'm reading you a letter that was written in prison in Rome. How in the world was this preserved to such an extent that we're still talking about it? In this series, we're just going to keep coming back to this. The gospel is unstoppable. The good news about Jesus and eternity and how much God loves you and every person on planet Earth and how, how much he died for you to restore a relationship so that you can live a new life now and live eternally forever with him, that is unstoppable. When you are shut up, locked down, the gospel gets turned up somehow. When you think that your life is going to come to an end due to physical or medical conditions or pandemics, and that really just makes you depressed and anxious, just realize this, the gospel might be more advanced in your death than in your life. People bought a lot more Prince albums after Prince died. Tim Keller, one of my favorite preachers uh, this week, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And when Erica told me that, I was kind of already having a bad day due to some other, other uh, circumstances. And I go, oh, not Tim Keller. He's the Yoda of Christianity. We can't, we can't lose Yoda. He's got at least 10 more books in him. Come on. Keep him up all night. Just tell him to write right until the end. But here's the thing. Whether Tim Keller dies today or in 40 more years, whether he dies peacefully or painfully, God can and will use every, everything, every part of his life and death to advance the gospel. And if the gospel is unstoppable, joy, my friends is possible. And so Apple Valley Baptist, Cross of Christ, I, I don't know if the merger will happen or not, but I do know this. The gospel is unstoppable. And so whatever our circumstances in ministry, whether we're all a United Mercy Road, whether you remain your own congregations, whether we meet here or there, joy is possible. And it's a non-circumstantial joy that's made possible when we think about the good news of Jesus Christ never slowing down until he returns. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this letter, this incredible, joy-filled letter written from very difficult circumstances. I pray for any of my brothers and sisters at Mercy Road, at Apple Valley Baptist, at Cross of Christ, who are going through it, who are feeling an intense amount of pain or disappointment. Their circumstances are just not how they want them to be. And that's very understandable. But I pray right now in Jesus' name 
that they would see their circumstances in a new light, that they would believe, really, really believe that the gospel is unstoppable and therefore joy is possible. Even in sorrow and sadness, the joy of anticipating eternity with you, the joy of knowing that you're, you're using all of it, even the worst and ugly parts of it, to advance the good news about how much you love this world. Help us to know that, and not just know that. Help us to experience that and feel that and meditate on that this week and in this series. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I pray now, Lord, that you would minister to us through your Holy Spirit that lives inside of each believer. If anyone is joining us here in this gathering or online who's not a believer, who has not put their confidence in the forgiving love of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you, through, through your Holy Spirit, would, would speak to them that you would persuade them about the truth of all of reality. That you would whisper to them that you, you've known them their entire life. You've formed them. You love them. You're not mad at them. You're mad about them. You want to rescue and save and restore and be with them. And you've made it possible in Jesus. And all they have to do is say, yes, please, forgive me. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.